This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show about the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in our 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. In the news this week, official word has come that an iconic performance vehicle is going to come to market as a battery electric in 2026. We'll tell you the model and give you more details a little later in this segment. As we have reported in the past several weeks, EVs are piling up on dealers' lots and Used EV values are plummeting. We'll tell you why this is happening and what it means to you, even if you don't plan to buy an electric car. It does have some ramifications. While many car makers are still touting a battery electric future, Hyundai is about to announce a giant new initiative to create a hydrogen ecosystem. We'll have details on that and our reactions a little later. America on the Road is brought to you by drivingtoday.com, your testdriver.com. EMLancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Back after a week off and, uh, you know, through the holidays and all that, as you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about the weather. No, we get together to talk about cars and the car industry and how you can get the most for your automotive dollar. I also talk about the weather with Chris because I I guess I like to rub it in a little bit. Uh, uh, He lives in Maine and I live in Southern California, so we have that going for us. Uh, Have you made any uh, New Year's resolutions, Chris? Yes, Jack. I've become a little wider than I would like to be (laughs) be in my life, uh, you know, my sedentary job here. Uh, So we're going to take on a new health initiative, try try to cut back on the red meat, you know, um, already cut alcohol a while ago, so hopefully this will help me get where I want to go. Well, good for you. That's a great thing. And we're just into January, so it's going well. And, uh, you know, hope it keep it up. I, I plan to do the same thing. It's amazing. You know, I think I've gained six or seven pounds in, I gained six or seven pounds in December. <laughs> you know, it's just in the month of December, which is uh, kind of wild, but uh, it does this, happen. Yeah, yeah. This is not a weight loss show either. We <laughs> generally talk about the weather, and I guess you're having tons of rain there, huh? Yeah, we had a pretty bad flood uh, a few weeks ago. You know, one of the they said it was one of the worst natural disasters in Maine history. Uh, I think a few people just got power back yesterday or the day before, wow. uh, from well before Christmas. But we were high and dry, despite living right on one of the worst affected rivers uh, here in the state. But uh, we had a great holiday. Everybody's healthy, so can't be couldn't be happier to jump into 2024. Right, and we'll be road testing some vehicles, of course, in this show. And you have a pretty cool vehicle to talk about. I did. Despite all the rain, I got out and drove the 2024 Honda Passport Trail Sport. It's a brand new vehicle for 2024, brand new trim of the vehicle for 2024. Uh, and I can't wait to tell you all about it. Yeah, they're excited about that at Honda too. I've talked to the Honda people about it, and they love the Trail Sport editions. Uh, they're 
I think they're going to do a lot with them. I'll be road testing a, a, a vehicle that couldn't be more different, I think, than, than the Honda Trail Sport. It is the 2024 Lexus LC500 convertible. Uh, luxury sports car, whether it's more luxury or more sports car, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, costs well over six figures, so we'll tell you about it in our road test segment. In our uh, guest segment, we have a special guest who's a friend of the program. I think a friend of yours, certainly a friend of mine as well, Sam Fiorani. I think you introduced me to him, actually. He's vice president of global vehicle forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. We'll kick around what happened in 2023, and he'll give us predictions for what's going to happen in 2024. A really knowledgeable guy about the car industry, of course. And uh, Chris is nodding along because uh, he absolutely uh, he's, he's a, guy a brilliant we, guy. We, yeah, we both like and respect a lot. Let's dive into this news story, and I, I'm really curious to your reaction to this, Chris, because that iconic uh, performance car we're talking about is the Volkswagen Golf GTI that will come as an EV in 2026. I think you've been a Volkswagen fan through the years. Maybe not so much these days. I'm not so sure about that. But uh, you know, you know, what's your reaction to this this news? Kind of confirmed from Volkswagen that they'll w- there will be an electric GTI. Yeah, you know, even after the Lemon Law buyback of my 2023 Golf R, you know, I'm still a Volkswagen fan. And I will say that I've been looking forward to this announcement for a while. It's not something that is entirely... Mm-hmm a surprise or even a little bit of a surprise given some of the concept vehicles they've shown. Uh, and we talked about this, I think, in the, within the last six months or so on the show. And I think their biggest challenge is going to be managing weight and maintaining that playful driving dynamic that the car is known for. So um, I have no doubt that, you know, Volkswagen's engineers will probably figure it out, but um, time will tell, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how you get past the weight issue. And I, one of the advantages of the GTI always was it was kind of a light car. I mean, I, I remember much lighter cars than the current GTI, but uh, the lightness uh, made the lack of tons of horsepower all that much more palatable. And it also just made it seem kind of sprightly, easy to maneuver, you know, easy to turn and get turned and those kind of things. And I'm wondering how you do that with, say, six, 800 pounds, 1,000 pounds of battery weight. Probably a lot more torque and a lot more <laughs> torque right off the line, too, is probably going to be the uh, I think the driver of this car, not to be, you know, punny about it or anything, but um, I'm looking forward to driving it. Uh, you know, I think that Volkswagen has had kind of ups and downs, at least from the enthusiast perspective with the GTI over the years, the latest, the Mark 8, and we're now facing a Mark 8.5 coming up the eighth generation. Uh, a lot of people complain about the styling, the size, that you know, everything. You can go top to bottom with it. And, you know, I cannot see a world where people don't at least complain a little bit about the the electric GTI, especially people who are used to the turbocharged four-cylinder engine or naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do from the enthusiast perspective. But from my perspective, I think it's, you know, it's the next logical step for the car. Yeah, I'm wondering about affordability, too. That was always a strong suit for GTI, right? I mean, great performance for the dollar, just a lot of bang for the buck. And again, that's uh, that's a tough thing to uh, figure out with a electric powertrain. Well, a mid-range GTI is almost 40 grand now, Jack, and the Golf R is, you know, you can crest 50 without any problem, really, with that car. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe they've been conditioning people for this for a little while now. Yeah, could well be. We'll see. Well, we've been talking about this on the show a lot, that uh, EVs aren't selling particularly well. The the so-called mainstream media has picked this up pretty big time now. I've seen, seen a lot of reports on that uh, in just even local news here in Southern California, which is typically very pro-electric vehicles. They've done some reporting on on that. But uh, 
I think one of the things that's uh, most vexing about this or, or troubling about this is the lack of retained value for used EVs. I mean, that's a tough thing. And that makes a lot of things uh, more difficult, including leasing, right? I mean, uh, if a vehicle plunges in value, the lease cost is going to go way, way up. And a lot of people are leasing vehicles both to get the the tax advantages that they otherwise couldn't get. And just because it's kind of cheaper to lease than it is to to buy a vehicle, or at least it seems to be. What's your reaction to all this? There's a ton to talk about there. It's such like a multifaceted issue here, right? I mean, on the new vehicle purchasing side, costs are still just outrageous. I mean, I think it's, you know, if you're going to buy... An electric sedan versus its comparable gas model, you're looking at you know at least a 10%, if not a much more a much higher markup on that. And then on the used side, you know people are skeptical. They don't know how long these vehicle vehicles are going to last. You've got consumer reports and others saying, you know these vehicles are not reliable enough, you know, and things like that. So people are worried. Um, you know, and I don't really know where this is going to land, but I do think that some of the uh, incentives and the the goalposts that we've put out, or not we, but the industry has put out there. Uh, they may have to be moved, and I don't. I don't know that that's going to be very comfortable for them. Yeah, it's been difficult. I mean, Tesla started a price war literally uh, about six months ago, six eight months ago, and dropped its prices very significantly. Something that is very hard for the traditional automakers to follow. <laughs> they just have a different distribution model that makes it really difficult for them to do. So, and that really took a, I guess, a, a hatchet to the uh, used vehicle prices because if the new vehicle prices are down, I mean, that kind of drops the, the value of the used vehicles. I mean, uh, it's been a tough time. And, you know, rental firms are apparently cutting back on their EVs just because uh, they're not sure. Yeah, you know, it's really hard to argue with the Tesla Model 3 right now from a price perspective, uh, especially with the Chevy Bolt going away at the end of this year. Uh, from a rental car perspective, I can see, you know, many headaches on their end. Uh, you have an unknowing or uneducated public renting a car they've never been in before, uh, and then you're spending the next three days with them on the support line or the help support line. But I'm not anti-EV. I am anti-pushing vehicles and pushing a, a system that is not that the the environment, the infrastructure is not ready to handle. Right. Uh, and I think that in some ways we have the cart before the horse. Yeah, I'm right with you. Well, talk about the cart before the horse. Hyundai is about to introduce at CES, which we're coming up on in just a, a few days, a hydrogen initiative, big time hydrogen initiative, which kind of took me a bit by surprise. I'll have to uh, be honest with you. What's your quick reaction to that? Yeah, it, well, it's not entirely surprising. Hyundai's got like commercial vehicles with hydrogen and everything else. And it's not also from surprising from a Toyota perspective because they've been searching for the diverging uh, zero emissions fuels. Uh, I think the infrastructure there is even more lacking than electric vehicles. So I think that uh, if Hyundai is going to do anything, it's going to be very limited in scale at first and may not take off for several years, if even then. Yeah, I mean, Hyundai in its home market in South Korea is so dominant that it can probably push something like this through. I think in other markets, though, like ours, <laughs> uh, as you mentioned, the infrastructure for hydrogen is minuscule compared to electricity. I mean, heaven knows, at least we have electricity in pretty much every home in in the United States. And we have some, some charging uh, opportunities, much greater than the number of hydrogen filling stations there are uh, in the United States. I, I mean, 
This is a, a bit of a baffling kind of thing right now for me. I'll say this just very quickly. You know, I think if, if Hyundai is comfortable with the investment, I think any of the any carbon burning vehicles or any gas burning vehicles we can pull off the road and replace them with hydrogen, it's going to help us overall. Um, but I think that, you know, pushing this, this is uh, it's going to be difficult for them, especially. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult all the way around. Well, what won't be difficult, we hope, is listening to our road tests, which are coming up in the next segment. So stay with us for that. And we'll be right back with some pretty cool vehicles. So stay with us and we'll be back. Welcome back to America on the Road. This is Jack This Teague, and it is road test time on America on the Road. We're so glad you're with us. And 2024, yet another year for America on the Road. Heaven knows. I think this is going to be our 31st year, Chris. It's crazy stuff. I was nine when you started. Yeah, think about that. Uh, I was not. I was a little older than nine when we started. Maybe 10, 11, 12, something. <laughs> very, very precocious young man. We have cool cars to talk about, and you have a car that I know Honda is very excited about. Uh, tell us about it. I'm actually very excited about it too, and, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but I was driving the 2024 Honda Passport Trail Sport. This is a new trim of the SUV for 2024. Uh, they revived it a few years ago, the SUV itself, uh, and I think I told you then and maybe even since then that I think it's one of the best vehicles Honda has made uh, in the past 20 years. I, I would still give it that, even with the Civic Type R sitting on the table now. Uh, but and, Taking a step back, the, the trim level starts at around $42,000 for the EXL. The Trail Sport that I tested starts at $44,500, and Honda doesn't do a ton of add-ons. You can buy some floor mats and things like that, but uh, basically what you buy is what you get, or what you see is what you get with this vehicle. And the top black edition trim is around $48,000. And before I go any further, Jack, have you driven a Passport recently? Uh, it's been a while, I think. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that I have even driven this generation, or if I have, it was soon after the generation changed. Oh, okay. Well, this is a, it's got a 3.5 liter V6. It's the same engine that you'll see in the Honda Pilot, the Honda Ridgeline, uh, probably the Honda Odyssey too. Yeah, I think, I think got so. That yeah, that engine's been around for a while. <laughs> Yeah, they've got a, it's very, very tuned. It's been around for a long time. They got all the wrinkles uh, ironed out, but 280 horsepower, 262 pounds of torque. Uh, all wheel drive is standard across the line for all the trims. Uh, and it's got a nine speed automatic transmission, uh, which if you recall, the pilot picked up a 10 speed transmission a couple of years ago. So this is still uh, the gearbox before that. Um, this car has 18 inch wheels and all terrain tires, which you don't get with the other trims. Uh, and it looks rugged, Jack. It looks like you're really going to be able to take it off road and, and get the job done. And just a story is, you know, we were in the middle of getting five to six inches of rain over the course of a day or two. Uh, the power was out. There was flooding everywhere. And, uh, you know, this thing just cruises right through deep puddles. We had some ice on the road. We had some snow on the road. And there was absolutely zero trouble there whatsoever. Uh, and I didn't even have to change the drive mode. I think Honda's all-wheel drive system uh, with the all-terrain tires really works together. It has torque management. They call it torque vectoring is what it really is. Uh, it can shift the torque from, I think, 50% from the front to the back and then 100% between each of the back wheels. So you've got quite a bit of uh, technology going underneath you while you're moving around. My big problem, or I guess my only problem with this vehicle, is the push-button transmission selector. Uh, this is similar to the one you get, I think, in the maybe the uh, Pilot. But anyway, uh, it's a little slow to respond. So when you're in park and you hit reverse, you get reverse. But when you go from reverse to drive, there's like a there's a moment where it's kind of figuring out where it's going, uh, and that can be a little stressful if you're in, you know, pulling out into a street like I, I live on a busy street. So uh, that might be my only driving complaint with this car. The ride is very smooth. Those all-terrain tires don't make a lot of noise. 
Uh, they don't, you know, there's not a lot of tram lining on the highway. And it's, it's pretty quiet inside, though. That V6 is, you know, you hear the V6. And that's something that you hear in the pilot. You hear it in the Odyssey. So not unexpected here at all. The Trailsport has leather interior. It has orange stitching and orange accents. So that's kind of Honda's signature for this vehicle. Uh, you get an 8-inch color touchscreen. My test unit came with a 540-watt audio system, 10 speakers, uh, a little bit bass-heavy, but Jack, man, is it, it's super loud. There's really nothing I could want for, for volume or clarity in this system. Uh, you get Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, wireless phone charging, uh, the whole deal. Uh, the, front, the front buckets are very uh, spacious and very comfortable. They're deep. They're nicely padded for my, as we talked about earlier, now wider body before we head into 2024. Uh, the kids have plenty of room in the back seat. You know, it's only a two rows. You don't have that back, uh, the third row to deal with. And there's a lot of room in the back for the dog as well. So uh, from a family perspective, I think if you have two kids, a dog, maybe that you'll be fine. To, you'll be good to go here. Uh, and you also get Honda sensing. So you get blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alerts, forward collision warnings, automatic, you know, the whole deal. Uh, so Jack, I think the price is not too bad for this guy. And I think the, the styling is where I would like it to be and also the driving experience. So I have no real complaints about the trail sport. Yeah, I'd really like to try the trail sport on the trail. Uh, because they're they're saying kind of the right things. I mean, this doesn't have a two-speed transfer case or, or something like a real serious, serious off-roader would have. Uh, at the same time, I think they want that vibe. And they do have that really um, very sophisticated all-wheel drive system with all that torque vectoring that you were talking about. So I'd love to see how that works. I'd like to see how that works in, you know, in comparison to a, a two-speed, more kind of traditional off-road system. Uh, I'm curious about that. Uh, I think they've done the right things on this. Uh, whether people are going to look to Honda for off-roading, I'm not quite sure. But I think they want to get in on that the same way Toyota has got in on that, the, uh, the same way Subaru has got in on a, uh, that for a long time. We'll have to see. The original Passport slash Isuzu Rodeo was, uh, it could do those things. So maybe they'll get there. Yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love to see that. And they're making all the right sounds, and uh, I like that a lot. And it's a good-looking vehicle. It is, yeah. Yeah, very good-looking vehicle. Well, I was driving a vehicle that, uh, you know, is super rare, I would say. It's probably rarer in Southern California than uh, a lot of Ferraris and Lamborghinis out there. I'm talking about the Lexus LC, and I bet a lot of people don't even know what the Lexus LC is and hey, probably have never seen a Lexus LC Coupe, a lot less the convertible version, which is kind of the limited edition version of the uh, LC. Uh, number one, you know, you're a big Lexus Toyota aficionado. You love love these vehicles. What's your overall take on, on this particular vehicle? It's probably the most beautiful vehicle Lexus has ever made inside and out. It sounds fantastic. And I've only seen one in real life, and that was one that I drove. So, you know, I, I agree. They're they're definitely the a rare bird. Yeah. I mean, this thing has a uh, suggested retail price of $106,000 and change. I guess you could say $107,000. Very, very cool. They decided to go with a soft top in this convertible, which I think makes a hell of a lot of sense, actually. We've had a lot of hardtop convertibles through the years, and there's some advantages to that. But I think in terms of just making a convertible act like a convertible and be just easy to design, you know, look look right as a convertible. A soft top is the way to go. So they've gone in that direction. And I think this is much more of a, a luxury car than it is a sports car. It's fun to drive. It's got plenty of horsepower. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's more of a profiler kind of car. But at the same time, super competent all, all the way around. Uh, adaptive variable suspension. 
So you, you got to like that. Uh, has 21 inch forged alloy wheels. It's attractive. It's a very attractive car. And it's one of those that you look at and you go, what is that? <laughs> right? I mean, uh, as opposed to uh, other vehicles out there where you can at least go, okay, that's a exotic car of some sort. This is, this is something that looks exotic, but it doesn't look like the quote-unquote conventional exotic, right? I mean, uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, you know, I think if you didn't see the L badge on the front and the back, you would you would have some questions. I mean, probably still have some questions. But uh, again, I think that they really knocked it out of the park. It's now, what, six years? I don't know how long it's been out. Several years now. Yeah. And it still looks as fresh as the day as it rolled out, of the right. first roll out of the factory. So I guess one way to keep it fresh is <laughs> to have build very few of them and sell very few of them so people <laughs> never see it. But uh, it has a... Naturally aspirated 5-liter V8. What is this, a Camaro? Uh, you know, 471 horsepower 70 at uh, 7,100 RPM. So very busy when it's producing all that horsepower. And uh, almost 400 pound-feet of torque, a little lower. 10-speed automatic transmission is the only transmission. Fun to drive. Not, you know, this is not a Porsche eater. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but uh, a lot of fun to drive. And just... The cool rarity of it, I think, is uh, maybe its biggest calling card. I, I don't know whether you feel that way about it or, or not, Chris, but uh, who, who do you think is the buyer for this for this vehicle? Well, probably people our age and maybe a little older. This is a grand tourer. This is not a car, as you mentioned, that people are going to buy and want to take onto the track or people who want, you know, uh, it's not a canyon carver, so to speak. This is like a wide open space as I'm going to eat up 200 miles at 80 or 90 miles an hour kind of car. Uh, and I respect it for that. Yeah. It has all the Lexus bells and whistles. It has uh, voice command. You you say, hey, Lexus, and it will respond to you. Uh, there is available cloud navigation. I would think at $106,000, they don't need to make that optional. Maybe they could throw that in. Uh, but uh, I think it, they've done a very good job with this. Is it, it's one of those vehicles that you can live with and yet is exotic. I think the exotic uh, brands are doing a better job of that too. But, you know, certainly a, a vehicle from Lexus is going to act like a Lexus. And a lot of people are going to feel more comfortable about that than they will purchasing a Lamborghini or, or a Karma or, or something like that, that uh, a Rinsport or something that's a little bit off the wall. I agree. You know, you, you could get your Lexus service at the Toyota dealership down the street. You don't have to have a a uh, Ferrari or a Lamborghini dealership, uh, which here in Maine we don't have, un probably not surprisingly to anyone. Right. So. Well, two very, very different vehicles this time around. The Honda Passport Trail Sport, very cool, and I I'm glad to see Honda moving in the off-road direction. And then the Lexus LC Convertible, LC500 Convertible. You will have the only one on your block, probably the only mm -hmm. one in your zip code, Likely the only one in your state, maybe the only one in your region. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, but uh, very, very cool. And when we come back, we will have a very cool guest. Sam Fiorani is Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. So we'll talk to him about what happened in 2023, what's likely to happen in 2024, which is going to be a wild year in many, many ways. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. 
I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com, and it's available direct from the publisher emlancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Arnie Red with you. And we have a terrific guest for you. Sam Fiorani has been on the show before. He is the Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. And uh, Sam, thanks for being with us. We do appreciate it. Always glad to be here. Well, we've come to the end of 2023, and it's been an eventful year. Maybe not as eventful uh, for, in, in some ways as some people would uh, have preferred, or the events haven't been the events that people would have preferred. How, how would you sum up 2023? What's the kind of overarching theme for this year? No, uh, What's the Chinese proverb? Uh, interesting times? Yeah. You know, uh, we've... Uh, we we're definitely in interesting times between the labor unions and uh, the economy, uh, supply chain issues, uh, inventory issues. It, it's uh, and uh, of course the EV transition. It's a very unique time to be in the industry. Absolutely true. I, let's talk a bit about supply chain. We've talked with you about that before. Are we kind of out of that woods uh, finally, or is that still uh, rearing its ugly head here? Well, it's still there, but it. It's much better than it has been. I, I think last year we lost about uh, a quarter of the vehicles globally as we did two years ago. But um, it's it's trailing off. Uh, manufacturers are finding better supplies of chips in particular. But uh, as recent events have shown, where we have problems in the in the Red Sea, uh, things happen all over the world that disrupt supply chain of all kinds of parts. This is a global industry. Pieces and vehicles come from everywhere. So uh, anything, anywhere can disrupt production of vehicles. And uh, it's that's not going to end anytime soon. It seems like dealer lots are, are filling up with vehicles, though, now, right? I mean, there's a lot more consumer choice than there was at the beginning of the year. Talk about that a little. Yeah, no, the, since, uh, since COVID, the shutdown that disrupted uh, semiconductors in particular, uh, we've gotten better at producing all kinds of vehicles. But uh, manufacturers are focusing on the more expensive ones. So if you go to buy a dealership, you'll see a lot of uh, F-150s and Silverados and fewer of the smaller cars, the less expensive vehicles. The manufacturers are just focusing on the ones that make money. And unfortunately, or fortunately, people are buying the expensive vehicles. So uh, the people who are trying to get uh, a $20,000, a $30,000 vehicle are out of luck compared to a person who wants to walk in with $60,000. It really seems in a lot of ways like the auto market is is walking away from the the typical every every man and every woman kind of buyer and a new car buyer is much more affluent than uh, the typical person out there these days uh, who is suffering with inflation and uh, wages not going up nearly as much as inflation, those kind of things. I mean, what do you think that's going to lead to? I think this has got to, still has to be a mass market kind of industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it 
the lack of vehicles pushed up prices of used vehicles over the last few years, which means that there are a lot of people still trying to buy vehicles. And with the average age of a vehicle in the United States being around 12 years, there are a lot of used cars that are trading hands three and four times. So people are driving 15, 20-year-old vehicles because they can't afford to buy uh, a $30,000 or $40,000 or $50,000 vehicle. Uh, Ford introduced the Maverick a couple years ago, which has become the entry-level model in, in the United States. And it's done very well. But when you see F-150s outselling the Maverick by five times, uh, there's still a market for fifty dollars and $70,000 vehicles. Uh, it's just leaving the door open for somebody to come in and take advantage of, of that uh, $20,000 to $30,000 window. Yeah, I think it, it is there. I mean, uh, I guess it was Henry Ford II who said famously, small cars, small profits, right? I mean, <laughs> that is a famous quote. And I think we've seen actually uh, the domestics essentially walk away from cars altogether uh, and become truck companies, truck and SUV companies. Uh, what are the ram- ramifications of that? Well, it's as we see the, the shift towards trucks, it's not so much um, a shift away from cars. It's a shift towards a different kind of car. A crossover is a car. Uh, if they had introduced many crossovers 20, 30 years ago, they would have been hatchbacks or station wagons. And now that they give them a little more height, they give them a little more ground clearance, and they call them a crossover, and they sell better than a hatchback or a wagon did 30 years ago uh, with the same amount of uh, investment. So it's it's just the vision of what, we're, what the vehicles are. It, it's not so much that we've completely moved away from cars. It's just that we're calling them something different now. Yeah, I really think that's true. And I think the typical car, quote unquote car, is a crossover. And if you look at those vehicles, I mean, not just from 30 years ago, but if you look back to, say, 1950 or 1945, 1948, something like that, I think you're going to find that the vehicles, uh, crossovers are about the same size. They're about the same height, you know, have the same kind of hip point, you know, where where you sit, you know, more chair-like seating than the uh, a typical sedan does these days, but very much like a car that was in 1948, 1952, or that kind of era, right? Oh, absolutely. The, the people have realized that cars got too low. And so looking out a car, your line of sight was a little different. And then it doesn't help when everybody else around you is driving a, pick, a four-wheel drive pickup truck or a minivan, and they're sitting a foot higher than you anyway. So suddenly you have to get to uh, a small crossover, which puts you, like you said, I level to a mid-50s Chevrolet or Ford, and uh, we're just getting back to that height now. Yeah. One thing we talk a bit uh, a lot on the show, Sam, is um, EVs and this quote-unquote transition, or, or maybe not transition, depending on how you look at it, uh, to EVs. Certainly, that has been a big, big story this year. It hasn't gone as swimmingly as I think a lot of manufacturers would like to have seen it go. Uh, what's your reaction to what we've seen in 2023? We've always been conservative on the the shift towards electric vehicles. It was it was never going to be the hockey stick that everybody predicted, and uh, Tesla just set the ground rules and said, "This is how many vehicles we're going to sell." And so everybody said, "We can sell that many too." It wasn't that way. Uh, Teslas are selling not so much because they're electric vehicles, but because they're Teslas. So people are buying it on the aura of a Tesla in addition to that it being a good performance car and uh, an electric vehicle. So everybody else thought, oh, we have to do is build an electric vehicle as good or better than Tesla. Well, that's not 
the selling point of a Tesla. It's a Tesla. So uh, you see a lot of companies like Cadillac bringing out unique designs, uh, unique images, trying to get that aura on themselves. And that, that's what's going to help the next generation of buyers who are tougher to convert than the early adopters that we've already probably uh, saturated. We've already gotten all those people to buy a, an electric vehicle. Now we have to get the, the normal consumer who's been driving an internal combustion engine vehicle for 20 or 30 years, trying to convince them that they they can replace their ICE vehicle with an EV. And that's a lot tougher sell than the tech guy who wants the latest and greatest in his driveway. It really is, isn't it? I mean, a, a lot of the early adopters, maybe all of the early adopters are willing to uh, give up a few things and, and put up with a, a lot of things that I think the typical buyer is not willing to put up with. And spend a little more. Uh, number one, and uh, there's a lot, of pro- not a lot of issues, I guess, you have to deal with when you switch to an electric vehicle. Yeah, no, when we first got cell phones, you know, oh, well, we have to plug them in every night. The one on my wall is right there. Just, it's fine. It's, it's a learning curve. And so once you have the, the pattern down that you bring your car home, you plug in your car at night, in the morning, it's a fully charged car. There's a lot of those type of things that, that uh, you, have to, you have to learn or relearn that you don't have in your ICE vehicle. And you just expect to, that you know how an ICE works and you don't know how an EV works. What is your take on uh, mass market EVs from mass market brands? I mean, we've seen success with EVs, or some success anyway, with EVs in luxury brands, but it, it strikes me not nearly the success among mass market brands. So, you know, what's the market telling you? It, it's going to take a long time to get there. The people who buy, quote, normal cars, the $30,000, dollars $50,000 everyday drivers, these people, you know, know where they get gas. They know where the gas station is. They know how the car works. They know how far they can go. They don't have range anxiety because they know where they can get a gas station anywhere they go. So it's going to take building up an infrastructure of charging stations. It's going to have to take uh, letting people know that in their normal daily life, they only drive 100, maybe 150 miles in a day. 99% of the time, that will cover every electric vehicle on the market today. There, there's a lot of stuff that that needs to be relearned from these buyers, and they're not going to go easily. So it's going to take a long time to to uh, to warm up to an electric vehicle. It seems like uh, most electric vehicles now are going to households with a gas vehicle or two <laughs> also in the household, right? Which is interesting, and it uh, certainly ups the sales of electric vehicles. But it's not going to get us to 100% adoption of electric vehicles you know, in a decade, which is, right. you know, what I think what our current government would like us to do. I mean, you're in the forecasting business. Talk about that. Well, we look at everything. We look at uh, the buyers. We look at the sellers. We look at the laws, uh, all these pieces that come together. And and we have to know the history, too. California tried to make 100 percent EVs 30 years ago. They they had uh, those laws on the on the books. We knew then it wasn't going to happen because electric vehicles were, you know, glorified golf carts at that time. But today, they're practical vehicles. It's still going to take you a long time to remove all the elect- all the internal combustion engine vehicles. And when we come back, we'll have more from Auto Forecast Solutions' Sam Fiorani. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with co-host Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. And let's continue with our interview with Sam Fiorani, of Auto Forecast Solutions. Let's go to that right now. 
This is an industry that's been building internal combustion engine vehicles for 130 years. It's not going to change on a dime. And uh, it's going to take another 15, 20 years before we see uh, a large portion of the vehicles being sold, especially in the U.S., as being EVs. Right. And, uh, you know, with the average, as you mentioned, the average vehicle is about 12 years old now. I mean, <laughs> that's another decade or a decade and a half of vehicles once uh, we see selling gasoline vehicles, right? And I think those people would like to believe that uh, those vehicles have a life uh, to them, uh, maybe a, a pretty good life. So, yeah. No, the only thing that's going to take those, those residual vehicles off the road is if gas becomes too expensive. If, if uh, the demand for gas drops off to the point where there aren't gas stations on every corner and suddenly gas is you know, the equivalent of $10 a gallon or $15 a gallon today, uh, at that point, people are going to go, oh, well, the electric vehicle now makes sense. Right, right. Well, what do you predict for 2024? Is it going to be a, a good year for the auto industry? Is it a, a, going to be a good year for consumers to buy a car? What's your take on what's coming up? It's becoming a better time to buy cars. There are, like you said, there are more vehicles on the lot. So you have more choice and dealers have to negotiate more. You know, two years ago, dealers didn't have to negotiate at all and they would add prices to the, to the stock, sticker price. So today we're getting better. Tomorrow, next year, we're going to be even better. Uh, we're looking at more sales. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say that there are going to be a whole bunch of entry-level vehicles coming into the market. But those vehicles are going to come in time, and that's da further down the road. And uh, like it or not, they're probably going to be built somewhere else. They're probably going to be imported and have a, maybe a Chinese brand name on them. Right. Uh, what we didn't talk about that happened in 2023 was this major strike of the <laughs> the three domestic automakers. Uh, what effect do you think that has had uh, up till now, and what effect do you think it might have lingering effects for uh, next year? Well, you've you've seen it already. You know, between the the Detroit three having raised their prices, their their wages, and everything else that the unions got, it has a trickle down effect to the non union plants. The UAW today has really made a push to get non-union plants unionized, uh, unlike any other time in, the, in its history. And uh, the other plants have stepped up. They've already offered raises. Uh, Toyota had a raise in September, and then they immediately announced in January those same people will be getting another raise. So the UAW has done its job in, in lifting the, the water for every boat. And uh, so now uh, it's going to be tougher for the UAW to get into those those uh, factories going forward, but they've improved the the welfare of all the people who work for non-union plants uh, just from what they've done over the last three months. Yeah, and perhaps not, not done as much for people who are in union plants that uh, might see their jobs go away uh, because they're, the wages are way too high compared to others in the in the marketplace. The, the way the, the U.S. market is set up, the North American market is set up, uh, there's relatively little competition from imports. So the jobs building American U.S. vehicles uh, are fairly secure. And if they don't stay with a union plant, they're going to go to a non-union plant and uh, uh, the UAW will still have some some weight there. Uh, I'm wondering whether they, <laughs> the UAW is excited about raising wages of, of non-union uh, workers. Uh, that they don't represent and uh, they're not getting their union dues and all, all of that. But, uh, that's uh, maybe something for a different uh, different show. So how would you sum up 2023 
Was it a good year? Was it a so-so year? Crazy year? What's your overall take? Well, it kind of all depends on which uh, angle you're taking it from. The manufacturers made good profits this year. They did a really good job of selling expensive cars and trucks. So uh, they've made a a good amount of money. The workers made uh, great wage increases, as uh, the UAW will tell you, unprecedented. And uh, consumers are starting to find vehicles that are no longer $60,000. There are are more choices out there. So it's becoming a good year for 2023. And hopefully we'll lead into an even better year in 24. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a better year in 2024 too, Sam. Thanks so much for being <laughs> well, with us. We do too. appreciate it. Sam Fiorani is uh, Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions. Always a great guest. Love to talk to you, Sam. Have a great 2024. And that was our interview with Sam Fiorani of Auto Forecast Solutions. And I think we have time for at least one listener question. So uh, let's go to that. And this is from Ira in Crystal Lake, Illinois. I think that's on the border of uh, Wisconsin, if memory serves. And he says this, I just heard something about Teslas having suspension problems. Apparently, a lot of Teslas have suspensions that just collapse. (laughs) What do you know about this? Well, it turns out we know quite a bit about it. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I know a little bit. And I think, you know, I'll I'll get it started, Jack, but I think you're going to need to take the bulk of this is, you know, I think that what they're saying is that, you know, that the tens of thousands of Tesla owners is is one of the problems. They're experiencing problems with their suspension collapsing. Uh, and Tesla has uh, so far, or at least in, initially, not taken responsibility for this, saying that uh, this was due to driver abuse, if I'm not uh, incorrect, Jack. What do you think? Yeah, driver abuse, driver error, the, those kind of things. Things like running into parking curbs and, and that kind of thing. And uh, it's it's really kind of gotten beyond that, though. <laughs> I mean, the, this in 2020, Tesla... Uh, talk, gave a letter of explanation to a bunch of safety agencies about this thing because a lot of people were saying that the rear suspension links were breaking in uh, a lot of vehicles, Tesla vehicles in the United States. And uh, this was something that they actually recalled their vehicle for in China, <laughs> but didn't do that in the United States. So that was interesting. Uh, a lot of this is coming from a Reuters report, by the way. They did a, a very lengthy expose, quote unquote, on this, where they talked to a lot of uh, Tesla people and looked at Tesla documents. And according to Reuters, anyway, the the, um, data shows that the engineers tracked frequent failures, quote unquote, of aft links and other suspension steering and axle parts. And uh, this was on what they said were relatively new cars. So this isn't something that we hear about often on America on the Road uh, for other manufacturers. Some would call it chronic failures. I think that's the term that, that Reuters used. We're now looking at, you know, multi-years in this <laughs> and uh, still wondering. And, uh, you know, apparently this stretches across at least seven years of Tesla models and uh, around the globe. I think they're doing some, in Scandinavian countries, they're doing a big investigation of this right now. I mean, it's kind of... Uh, crazy that it's gone on this long, I, uh, for one thing, don't you think, Chris? It is. You know, I don't. So, from a personal opinion perspective, I don't have an issue with vehicles having problems, or even several vehicles having a manufacturing defect. That that happens. Every automa- auto maker has those issues. What I have a problem with is 
A, not owning up to it, and then B, blaming your customers for it. I think, you know, if we look even more recently at General Motors, who just issued the new Blazer EV, the Chevy Blazer EV, um, they immediately issued a stop sale after a few people reported software problems with the vehicle. And we're not even talking physical components with that. That's not something uh, that's going to help you run off the road, at least not immediately. So I think that's my biggest uh, hiccup or speed bump with this in my brain is, you know, if they're going to recall a vehicle in China, that obviously means they're aware of some issue or at least, you know, that they want to appease the Chinese authorities with. Uh, so why not do it here, too? Uh, tell us what's going on at uh, YourTestDriver.com, Chris. YourTestDriver.com, as it has for the past couple of weeks, is in a transition. We're gearing up for 2024. We're updating all of our safety lists. If you're looking for the safest vehicles of 2024, uh, the trucks with the best interior, the most, the heaviest towing EVs, uh, we've got you covered. And all that's going to be ready to go here in the next couple of days. So uh, when you're ready to hit that, go to YourTestDriver.com. And we also have some big giveaways coming up. Well, that's terrific. And look for that, YourTestDriver.com. Look for those giveaways. You come up with some pretty cool promotions, Chris. So... Uh... Look for that going forward. If you're looking for uh, a change for 2024, maybe my book, The GR Factor, is something you might be interested in. It's a book I wrote, essentially kind of off, off track. I write a lot of crime stuff, true crime and crime novels, but this is actually a, essentially kind of a self-help book or a, uh, a management book, uh, how to manage your own life, among other things. And uh, uh, I think it's something that uh, if you're looking for maybe a new start in 2024, uh, can help you uh, understand how to how to manage your life a little bit better. So I read it, that. Jack, and I use it every day in my business interactions with people across the country, you especially. So uh, I can't speak enough. I can't speak highly enough about it. Well, that's that's nice of you to say. I really do appreciate that, Chris. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I had not heard that before. So that's that's. Terrific. I thought I told you. I'm sorry. And so uh, we want to thank you for listening to America on the Road. We really do appreciate it, and you're the reason we do what we do. And uh, it's so many. There are so many ways to hear America on the Road. Of course, there is the radio station on which you might be listening to this right now. And uh, there are other ways as well, aren't there, Chris? There are. If you head to the sportsmapradio.com website, that is our radio network, you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule at 7 a.m. Uh, there you can get our podcast on all the major platforms, Apple, uh, Spotify, and all the rest. Or you can download a radio formatted version as well. But whatever you do, uh, leave us a review and give us some feedback. I really would love to hear what you guys want to listen to, what you want us to talk about. And if there's anything we could get more of, then let's do it. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. And we thank you so much for being with us. And please join us again next time for the next edition of America on the Road. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR factor. I'm Jack Arnie Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, the GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, the GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack R. Red.
Thanks for checking it out. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.